Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Hey, I'm glad to be back. I was on vacation uh, for a while, and... uh, I always miss this place when I'm away, and uh, just seeing everybody's uh, faces today makes me happy for sure. Um, So I don't know about you, but I love my church. I love this church. Next week, you may have seen on the slides coming in, we are going to do something called Swag Sunday. So if you have anything Hope Church, be it a hat, a sweatshirt, a t-shirt, whatever it might be, we want you to wear your Hope Church swag next week, okay? And show your love uh, for, this, for this place and for what God is doing around here. But just a little fun way uh, that we could come together and come around, that would be awesome, awesome, awesome. I have always found the Old Testament in the Bible to be fascinating. I love the Old Testament. When I think about uh, growing up in church, maybe, and I think about the flannel graph boards in Sunday school that I was taught all the lessons, I remember them mostly from the Old Testament. So we we think about um, something like the story of Moses, right, and how he goes against the great Pharaoh of Egypt. We think about um, Noah. And the great flood that sweeps over the earth in his day. Um, Let's see. We think about uh, somebody like David, maybe. And his clash, his epic clash with this giant of a man, Goliath. Right? Um, Here's a good one. We think about Jonah and how he was caught and actually survived in the belly of a great, large fish. It's pretty amazing. I don't know. As a kid, it riveted me. And, and of course, there's other fascinating things about the Old uh, Testament as well. I mean, you could go into great length and detail about the laws and the customs of the Jewish people, um, which, after all, is what the Old Testament is really about. It's kind of following uh, that group of people. Uh, you could see through their eyes the powers in the world that are rising up at that time, which is pretty fascinating to see. Uh, we see things like uh, we, we find recorded uh, the oldest man who ever lived. Does anybody remember his name? Methuselah. And does anybody remember how old he was? <laughs> Oh, so close. 969 years old. It's incredible. It's fascinating to me. And so like I said, the Old Testament is really a a, a retelling of Jewish history and their perspective. And there's a lot of Old Testament books that we're familiar with, you know, like that we know, like Genesis and Exodus maybe and Isaiah and Jeremiah. But there are a lot of really obscure books in the Old Testament, too, that you may have never heard a a teaching or a message on. And uh, that's perfect, because I actually want to look at one of those today, if that's okay with you. We're going to look at the book of Ezra. Ezra. 
And I'm going to read you the first verse there, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can take that out. You, uh, you can also see it on the screen and follow along, whether you're here or online, okay? Uh, it says this in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. So I'm going to stop us right there for a second. So I see... Uh, a main character here, King Cyrus of Persia, and fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. So naturally what my mind goes to is, okay, what did he say to Jeremiah? So we're going to go back to Jeremiah really quick. Jeremiah 25, verse 11. He says, this entire land is going to become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So we have this story being set up here, and if we go back into history, and if we go back and, you know, see what happened, um, we'll see what unfolds, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a second here. In 605 BC, so a long time ago, there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. He was actually known as Nebuchadnezzar the Great, and he became the king of the Babylon Empire, the Babylonian Empire, which just for perspective, just so you know, is like modern-day Iraq. So that's the area of the world we're talking about, all right? And as a part of building his empire, in 586 B.C., a very important date in Jewish history, um, he actually, in building this empire, defeats Jerusalem and actually wipes it out takes it out completely. He destroys the city, he plunders it, and he takes many Jewish people into captivity in Babylon. So then Jeremiah, back to that uh, story where it says it was prophesied here, Jeremiah 12, 25, 12 says, then after 70 years of captivity are over, I'm going to punish the king of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and his people for their sins, says the Lord. And so, just as was predicted, 70 years later, in 538 BC, the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the guy we first talked about, King Cyrus of Persia. And once he takes over Babylon, he allows these exiled Judeans to come back home. Isn't that fascinating? And you're like, yeah, cool story, bro. That's awesome. <laughs> I find it fascinating. I love the history here. By the way, you got any history teachers here? We got a couple, right? Yeah. And how many people, like in school, history was my favorite subject. Anybody else with me on that? Okay, a couple of you guys. Awesome. So, all right, I'm going to go back to Ezra now. This is where we're going to concentrate our time. So Ezra, and we're picking up the story. So now it's 70 years later. So it says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. And he stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it throughout the kingdom. And I'm not going to read that proclamation. So basically, he comes up with this big, fancy speech that he gives out to the world and to the kingdom at that time. But the thing I want to look at is that phrase called, stirred up the spirit. 
It's not really a phrase that we use often anymore, but it was a phrase that back in that day, the writers of Scripture and and, and Jewish scholars and authors would use this phrase often, and we see it several times in the Bible. And so I was looking, you know, what does that mean? And if we look at like a kind of a literal translation, because it's really hard to get exact literal words, but it means um, to awaken, to open the eyes. And so here we have this person who awakened, was awakened. Their eyes were opened to something. And when I see this, you know, and I think about how these writers in the Old Testament use this phrase, I think they always had a key idea in mind, and I want you to keep it in your mind today as I talk. And it is this phrase, the sovereignty of God. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before, the sovereignty of God? Some of us. What is the sovereignty of God? Of course, we, we have probably heard, uh, you know, the word sovereign before. We think of kings and kingdoms like that. And that's really what it means. It means control, authority, ultimate lordship, supremacy. This is what it means when we say the sovereignty of God, that he is in control, that he is supreme in all the universe, that he has lordship over everything. I like what A.W. Pink says. He says this, to say that God is sovereign is to say that God is God. God is God. He knows everything. He's in charge of everything. He is in control of everything. And the sovereignty of God means that nothing happens without intention or is allowed to happen without intention. It's the fact that God can and, and he will, by the way, use anything he wants for his glory and for his purposes. And what I think is cool about the Old Testament is that we see this over and over and over again. If you know anything about the Old Testament, we see that. You can actually feel it. And when I was being taught those Bible stories on flannel graph, I think that's what I was feeling, man. And I think that's what these writers in these obscure books were pointing this out to say, look at what is happening here, the sovereignty of God. That God is moving throughout history. And when you look back on it, you see his sovereign, in-control hand over everything. And I think it's why the writers of that day were using that phrase. And also, speaking about the fact that God is God and he is sovereign, here's another cool thing. That this exact event that we're talking about, this historical event, was prophesied 50 years at least earlier, if not more. And it was prophesied by name. I want to look at this uh, verse in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. He says, when I say of Cyrus, now this is way before Cyrus was even thought of or born, right? He goes, when I say of Cyrus, he's my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. This is God talking. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. And he will say, restore the temple. And so God was giving this word way before it even happened. And then everything came to be just like he said it was. So here's the deal. God is not bound by time, people. He is not bound by anything that us humans can put a limit on. He is all present. He is all knowing. He is all powerful. 
And this is yet another reason why I, for me, believe personally that what the Bible says is true because we have seen this come to pass over and over and over and over again. And by the way, the song we just sing, all my life, he has been faithful. And when we think about the story of the Jewish people, when we look at the Bible, honestly, that's the first word that comes to my mind, that we, he was trying to prove how faithful he was over and over, and the people of Israel forgot it, excuse me, constantly, over and over again. And you say, well, cool story, bro. It is fascinating. It's historical. And you're like, yeah, but what does it even mean for me? Like, who cares? Well, I want to talk about that today. I want to take a few minutes and encourage all of us with a story that we find in this really obscure book of the Bible. And I want to move towards some truths today, truths that I think will be very impactful for us if we allow them to sink in and to take root and to grow forward in our next steps towards God. I mean, because that is why we're here, right? That we are all looking on some level to take some kind of next step toward God. I mean, otherwise, why else would we wake up on this beautiful Sunday morning while most of the world is sleeping and, you know, and, and doing what they want to do? No, we are here because we want to go forward. What does God have for us today? So, back to the story. We are in Ezra chapter 1. And so, this Persian king Cyrus makes this really grandiose, big, like, fake kind of speech, you know, as he proclaims that the Jewish people can go back to their land. I am your Savior and your Lord, and, and I am allowing this to do, which is funny because God prophesied that was going to happen, and he was going to use that guy to make it happen, but I think that's interesting. And here's what we find in verse 5 of that, of that passage. He goes, then... God stirred the heart. He awakened something up. In who this time? Of the priests and Levites and leaders of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of the Lord. There's our phrase again. He stirred up the hearts. He was getting something going. He was trying to let them see something. And there's God's sovereignty again as well. Because what I find fascinating is he even used the words of a pagan king who had no idea about God at all to stir up the hearts in the minds, in the eyes of the people who were following him. He could use whatever he wants to get something going. And I want you all to hear that today. He stirred up the hearts through a pagan king for the people of Israel. And what were they stirred up to do? We saw that in that verse. What were they stirred up to do? Rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Now, they had been taken captive for a long time, 70 years, as we know. And my guess is that uh, some who went through the experience of exile, while many others of them were actually born in exile, 
So in other words, there were some people who may have this memory of what it was like before they were taken away, and there were others who had no memory at all because all they know is where they were born and what was passed down to them, maybe through story and word. And yet, God was doing something in the background all along. See, God knows the big plan. God sees the whole big picture for us. While we only see small pieces right now, and let's be honest, even those pieces are shaded by our experiences and by our bias. So, so it's really interesting what was happening here because God started to stir something up in them and they were being moved towards action. And this action was to rebuild a place in which they could meet with God. And I want to pause here and say, I think some of you may be feeling this today. Something has been stirring up in your heart. And you are at the point where you need to decide, are you going to take action with this thing or not? With this thing that's stirring up inside of you. And here's the deal. For some of you, this is the first time that you feel God is calling you to something. Again, to use our story, maybe you were born in exile. And you're experiencing this whole exciting, scary trip towards God for the very first time in your life. Others of you, you're coming back from exile, so to speak. Back to a place maybe you knew before, but you were taken away from for some reason. And God is stirring up something new in you. For some of you in this category, things were plundered and destroyed. You went through maybe this period of deconstructing everything. Maybe you're still in that, but God is calling you back to something. What is that stirring that's going on in your heart? Back to our story. These Jews had a stirring. They had a prompting. They had a vision for what God was calling them to do. And maybe that's not even the best way to say it. They had a vision for what God was calling them to be. Because here's the first thing that I want to say about a stirring in our hearts. First of all, it is always personal. The stirring that God is doing is always going to be personal for you. He's calling you towards something. And he's calling you to trust him in that thing. To believe him, to trust him, to give over control to him, to worship him with your life. And frankly, that's the calling for every single person in this room whether you realize that or not, to see God as ultimately in control, as Lord, as God, as sovereign. But here's the second thing I want to say. The stirring is often communal and relational at the same time. The church is God's instrument in the world to change the world. I'm going to say that again. The church is God's way of working to bring light into the darkness and to change the world as we know it. So as groups of people get together in various ways and using various methods and whatever that might be, groups of people meeting together for the purpose of instruction and encouragement and worship and community and service is God's plan. 
And the stirring that goes on in our hearts is all connected together in this. So it's always personal. And often, there's something communal and relational that God wants to do out of it. So I want to go back to the story and see what happens once all these different people started to feel this stirring of the Spirit. And we already saw it, kind of. First thing, the stirring was a vision. This stirring up was a vision. I don't have this up here, but I want to read this. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 says, In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, I'm going to stop for a second, it took them a while to make the trek back to their town to figure out where they were going to set up, where they were going to live, get their houses in order, and start on this stirring, right? So then it says, all the people, after they had done that, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Hope Church has been in existence for over 50 years. It's crazy to think that I've been here almost half of that time, but some of you have been here from the beginning, which is incredible. Talk about faithfulness, man. And you know, as well as I do, that throughout the life of church, this church, any church, but this church specifically I want to talk about, there have been ups, and there have been downs, there have been hills, there have been valleys. It hasn't been easy all the time. Other times, it has been easy. There have been times of great struggle, there have been times of great blessing. But the church, as we know it, in America, is changing. There's not a single doubt in my mind that we are completely in a post-Christian culture. People are not familiar with God. People are not familiar with church. They're not familiar with scripture. Statistics tells us most people don't go to church. And we might start to make assumptions here. And we start talking about generational differences And you might think that it's young people that aren't coming to church. But let me throw another statistic towards you. Research tells us recently that the largest group of people not going to church or have stopped going to church are boomers. That means you who are in your 60s and 70s. And actually that millennials are the fastest growing number of people coming to church. That's never happened before. But it's happening now. Here's some other problems with the church. Somehow politics has married itself, and the churches have allowed this, and it's the most unhealthy way it's ever been. This generation is, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Here's another thing. We are the most biblically illiterate generation of all time. Meaning we don't know our scripture. We don't know our Bible. Everything is foreign to a large majority of us. Now, I'm going to pull a statistic. This is 10 years old, and I I know it, uh, but I still think it proves my point. Uh, A research group did did a survey, and it said, how many people would say you are familiar with the Bible? And 80% of people roughly said, yep, I am. 
and only half of that percentage, 40%, could name the first five books of the Bible. That just tells us that we're biblically illiterate. Uh, as you know, we've talked about this before, 50% of people did not go back to church after the COVID pandemic. That is regardless of area of the country you live in, that is regardless of the denomination you're a part of. 50% of people did not go back after the COVID pandemic. Let's keep going on this great happy day. Generally speaking, volunteerism is down across the board in churches and what goes with that is so is giving. And I looked up just for the fun of it. And again, I realize I am not an um, expert in this area. But I just find it fascinating that the second quarter of 2023 was the most amount of money, consumer spending, that we've ever had in America. And God has used this over the last several years, to create a stirring in my heart, in the heart of the leadership of this church. Over the last few years, our elders and staff and various leaders have almost exclusively been talking about when we get together, what does the future of the church look like? What does the future look like? of Hope Church look like? What is it going to feel like? What is it going to act like? What is it going to look like? And we are still, if I'm being honest, walking through that, talking through that, looking at that. And I think it's going to take a while, but ultimately, let me just say this, because I've already preached it, we have complete trust in the sovereignty of God throughout this process. But it starts with a stirring. And the stirring is opening up our eyes and seeing what God has and calling us back to what he wants. And what I find fascinating about this passage in Ezra is it wasn't just a personal stirring. It was a unified, collective stirring in the hearts. And there's four things about a stirring. Number one, the stirring takes root uh, with, well, we already saw it started with a vision, but it takes root also with generosity. Ezra chapter 2 says this, When they arrived at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the family leaders made voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site, and each leader gave as much as he could. See, when we have a stirring and a vision in our hearts towards that thing, God is going to seed it with our generosity. Are we there yet? The next thing I see about this stirring is that it's nurtured through worship. And when I say worship, I don't just mean singing songs like we've done this morning. That is a part of our worship. But worship is really showing God in every aspect of our lives, what he is worth. Some would say worthship. When we worship God, we are showing him what he is worth. And when I look at this story, I see a collective group of people worshiping God and taking this vision, this stirring to the next level through worship. 
Ezra chapter 3, starting verse 10 says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow the trumpets. And the Levites and the descendants of Asaph clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. By the way, I love that. Let us be as loud and as big as possible in our worship towards God. That's what I say. And that's why I'm going to encourage you. Let's sing, people. He is worth it. So what does he say? He says, with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love endures forever. We just sang that this morning. You are good, God. When we raise our hands and we say that, we you are good. You are faithful. And then it says, all the people gave a great shout. Praising the Lord because the foundation of the temple of the Lord's had made. See, the stirring started to prompt some action, a moving together, a moving forward towards something that was way bigger than them. And finally, where this whole message started from when I first started it is my last point. It was spread by conviction. You see, this message, if I could be honest for a second, started somewhere completely different. I wasn't going to give you that whole part about vision. But then I realized, oh my goodness, I can't skip this. This is going to launch us into something really big and really cool as a church and personally as well. Listen to this part. The stirring is spread by conviction. And I do have this on the screen, I believe. Many of the older priests and Levites and other leaders who had first seen the temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. I'm going to stop there for a second. What I love about this, and this is where my heart was going, older people in this room, maybe boomers, when you see God doing that thing through the stirring that's up, we might have a, a different reaction. I, I see what I love here is that they wept aloud. They remembered that God was bringing them back and his sovereign hand was with it the whole time. Are you with me still? Are you with me? But check out what happens in the next part of the verse. It goes, the others, however, all the young people maybe, were shouting for joy. And the joyful shouting, check this out, and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. When we get behind the stirring of God in our life, something big is going to happen. And that conviction is going to spread so that the people around us cannot help but feel it and see it and know it. Are you feeling me on this? Once we begin to respond to that call personally, and communally, the noise that might have started as a drone begins to get very loud in a mixture of emotions of weeping and crying and laughing and joy. And Jeremiah talks about this as I finish up here. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and 11, that prophet and we know, a lot of us know this verse, and this is the context of this verse. This is what the Lord says. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And then I'm going to come for you and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I'm going to bring you home again. There's a place that he has for us. I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good, 
not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you're going to find me. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I'm going to end your captivity. I'm going to restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And I'm going to bring you home again to your own land. Let me say this so loud so that everybody in the back can hear me. God is for you, not against you. And I'm going to talk about this in this series as we move forward, that God is for all people. And this church is going to be for all people. And my challenge is the same for all of us here. You could look at this personally, and we could look at this corporately. But let's go back to the personal side of it. What has God been stirring in your heart? Is it a call back to what once was? Or is it a call to a new thing? He's for you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you a hope in a future. He wants to call you home. Are you going to respond to that? Because that's the choice that we have. We can do something with it or we can let it go. Are you going to be 100% in and 100% invested to the God's call and that stirring in your life. I'm gonna say this, at our last elder meeting, I challenged every single one of our elders and I asked them that question, are you 100% into this thing? And I'm gonna challenge every person here too. Now I know it takes a while to get used to a church and to get to know a church and we're gonna tell you throughout this series a little bit more about our church. But my challenge for you who call Hope Church your home, are you 100% in? Because I think God is calling us to something corporate. What is he calling us to? And are we going to be in on that thing? Are you 100% invested? And as we lay out in the coming uh, weeks and months and even years, this vision, my hope and prayer is that you are. And I said this too. Again, I'll be super transparent and crazy honest here. When I said that to the elders, we had a great meeting. And I said it, I'm going to say this again to you guys. If it's not me, then that's fine. You can move on from me. But while I'm here, I'm giving 100% investment and more. And so, as we move forward together, I ask for God's blessing, for his clarity, for his wisdom, for his guidance on this place and in this place. Let's stand up together, church. Come on. If you can get behind this, I I just want us to all close our eyes. We're just about done here for the day. And you could get on your way. But maybe you might want to raise your hand out and just give this to God as I pray. As I pray for the stirring in your heart personally and as I pray for the stirring in our, in our church and where we're going. Lord Jesus, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for showing us throughout the years your sovereignty and your goodness. Thank you that you are for us and not against us. God, I pray for those who are being called back to home, 
with you, that you would give them wisdom, insight, development, bring people around them that could speak into their life. God, for people who are being called to something for the first time, I pray that you would give them courage, boldness, strength to stand up for that, even in a day and age where it seems like everything else is fading away. And God, finally, as a church, I pray that you would give us wisdom and clarity and boldness as we pursue what we believe you want us to do in a new day, in a new season, and in a new time. We are called here on purpose for a reason. And God, we need to do it together. I pray that you would bring unity to this place that we would not just talk about it, but that we would do it. That if we have something against our neighbor or somebody across the aisle, that we talk about that and bring it up, bring it to the surface and get done with it. God, we're not gonna have that here. Let us go forward in unity and purpose. And God, I would finally pray that no matter what, may it be our heart that everybody here is in this room, that we are gonna go forward with you and on the foundation of your word. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.